the whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi folks and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. This is a very special edition. We have Deep Prasad, someone who in recent times has quoted a little bit of controversy with his uh, twittering and uh, escapades, shall we say, so far. But what I do feel is important, whether you are in the camp of Deep or not, it's always important to hear both sides of the story as well. So what I've done is invited Deep onto the show with me to answer a few different questions, a few difficult questions, I'm sure, as well. Um, but again, we'll see where we go from here deep it's a pleasure to speak with you how are you uh likewise andy i'm really good i've had a productive day um i had a really good uh sort of conversation set of conversations for my business uh i had time to kind of it's it sounds trivial but you know get starbucks for the first time in a long time uh and so yeah it just just nice it was just a good day can't complain and i'm really looking forward by the way to speaking to you and communicating um i think this is important and i'm looking forward to it yeah, absolutely. And listen, let me start off just with the Starbucks thing. I remember when the drive-through opened <laughs> up um, near where I stay, and the queues were an hour and a half long. I was one of the first people there, so I, oh, I can wow. appreciate how important I'm a bit of a Starbucks snob. So, um, and listen, re- regarding the interview, um, we mentioned just before we started as well, and I've not prepped you with loads of questions and what we're going to discuss. Mm-hmm. So, anything you, you talk to me about is going to be kind of fresh uh, yeah. and give as much detail as you can, obviously, for the listeners' benefit. Um, when it comes to the interview, we'd spoken a few months ago when the podcast first got off the ground and it was something that in the future you were looking to come on and, and speak with us, which is great. Things have taken a bit of a turn recently. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say for the, the better or for the worse. You know, there, there's been a few incidents and that's the main reason you've kind of came on the show. We've got a host of listener questions, which we'll get to towards the end. But what has happened uh, is basically there's been a little bit of controversy regarding um, a recent adventure that you, you joined up with, and that's going to be one of my first questions. People have called you out uh, and called you a few different names, as you've seen. There's been a bit of blocking done on, on the old Twitter, UFO Twitter, which can be the Wild West, as we all know, and mm-hmm. as some of my previous guests have found out. But I'm going to start with the first question, Deep, and it is, I think, a pretty you know impactful question, but I feel it's worth asking, and I'd love to hear your answer on it. Deep, let me start by asking, have you deceived people do you think you've no. deceived anyone no no absolutely not and in fact uh this is my honest uh, opinion and i will put my case forward for this i think i've been too open and honest with the internet and strangers and now i think we're at a point where it's being used against me i am not a fucking liar you know we will go over that i am no scam artist uh and yeah i i i didn't I don't deceive people. I never join Twitter and discuss people to, you know, become some, you know, Bob Lazar or anything like that. And uh, yeah, um, I appreciate the question. And yeah, that's my answer. It always will be. 
No, and I appreciate that answering that as well. And by the end, people may or may not have a different opinion. They can kind of form their own opinions off of this. And of one thing yeah. before we even get to that point, I do feel at the end of this, there will be follow-ups from people on Twitter. And no doubt that's something that you're, you're probably expecting anyway, especially when you put yourself out there. But when you're limiting yourself to 140 and 280 character answers or screenshots <laughs> yeah. of statements, it can yeah, be totally. hard. And, and this is giving you that platform to speak to at least some of those people. Um, yep. So getting straight into it, Deep, okay? So recently uh, you departed UAPX. So UAPX uh, is a company uh, which we've got Kevin Day as president, Gary Voorhees as vice president, and a host of others as part of that that company um, just with covid and all it's been a little bit slow and starting and getting off the ground but things are moving with them uh, the idea being they are looking to set up some expeditions out to um, the catalina islands and yeah. they basically want to go for lack of a better term here ufo hunting off the basis that some <laughs> of these things may or may not be around that area and that's something i discussed at the round table with gary kevin and Patrick. So you you joined UAPX and then rumours circulated online of a falling out um, and there was rumours you couldn't provide credentials to them. So in your own words, if you don't mind just going back a little bit, how did you come to be involved in the first place with UAPX and then what happened that you suddenly departed? Sure. So um, first of all, uh, I had two entryways into UAPX. I was talking to Christopher Altman of the NASA trained astronaut and quantum physicist. And uh, he told me about this opportunity and kind of invited me in. And he didn't know that Kevin Day had also told me about this team that they were forming uh, and called UAP Expeditions. And, uh, you know, Kevin showed me a proposal. Uh, it was a hypothesis that I believe Kevin Knuth had helped put together um, on what they think the... Uh, you know, the disturbance under the water was, right? And the fact that there seems to be some correlation to potentially correlation to whale migrations and the Tic Tac incident. So, you know, I pre presented this proposal with initial team and one of the members, of course, uh, was, it was listed in the line and I presented a screenshot as evidence of this and everybody has a copy from the first, you know, from this team. Uh, it said Luis Elizondo or Sean Cahill. And so, I interpreted that as uh, they were considering either Sean Cahill or Lou Elizondo for that role. Um, and so here, I just want to take a second to point out what I meant by my opening statement. So uh, in this sort of like, let's call it a Twitter tirade, right? Launched by a certain Twitter user. Uh, it, one of the first, this was their first sort of uh, point against me, which was that I claimed that Lou Elizondo was consulting for UAP expedition. Um, I made no such claim. I told him exactly what I thought was happening with the team. You know, it was the precedent giving me this package, right? Like I, so one of my, I think, biggest weaknesses is I, I jump too quickly and I talk too fast without uh, just like really confirming a second time. You know, I, I, I take people's word for it and I become overconfident in my own interpretation. But that being said, though, I never, this person accused me of uh, lying, you know, in a, a, a black hole in a vacuum, right? And saying that nobody in UAP expedition said anything about Lula Zondo, that is obviously a lie. And there's no way he would know that. And, and you know, I had to prove him wrong. So those, uh, you know, that rebuttal is up there uh, for the record. But yeah, so that's that story. And now the departure for UAP, do you have any questions, by the way? 
before I no, go no, on to keep, the second yeah, part. Cool. So far, keep going, yeah. So that no, that makes sense. And obviously, what happened that before things really even got going, as far as I know, as far as I'm aware, um, you you were gone. So again, in your own words. Yeah. So uh, first of all, the departure wasn't like my choice, although it was my choice. Uh, it, let's call it a superposition. And, and, and here's why I say that. Uh, first of all. Um, I posted the message that, you know, Gary Brewis, by the way, I'm going to qualify this with, I have nothing but love for UAP expeditions. Like there is, I, I have nothing bad to say uh, about, you know, anybody on the team. I have some criticisms for, you know, one or two members, but that's inevitable with any big organization. Uh, so, so that being said, uh, yeah, uh, I got a, so I had, he, I'll, I'll tell you what happened, like sequence of events, and we're not going to try to interpret it, okay? So the day that I uh, was given a, let's call it a quasi-termination message or termination message from Gary, uh, that morning uh, I had made a tweet basically alluding to hearing about this organization, right? This was just another case of me preemptively jumping based on something I was told. Uh, and I said that I had heard about an organization that was discriminating against experiencers, uh, scientists specifically. And now to me, somebody who falls in that, or at least identifies as falling in that subcategory, uh, I found that super concerning. And, it's, and, and for somebody who is, you know, seen as a respected position, a person, uh, I didn't like uh, how much, you know, influence that could have you know, later down the road. Butterfly effect is powerful, right? So anyways, uh, I spoke against it. And within hours, I get this message, I think three hours, you know, certain individuals left the chat, by the way, I would say within minutes, right? I have the evidence within minutes of me tweeting this, they've left the group chat. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that it had to do with the AP expeditions, by the way, and qualify that I'm not even referring to AP expeditions at all. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, I, I made this like preemptive accusation, which I later rescinded, right? I, I changed my stance on it publicly. Um, uh, and anyway, so a few hours later, I get a message from Gary Buris, and it's a message that I posted. Uh, I posted a screenshot of it, and it was saying, um, in fact, maybe I should just read it out loud so people uh, don't have to look for it. It's totally cool, you know, it's nothing, it's not a big deal, but you know, uh, it kind of contradicts another accusation, you know, that's been made against me. So it says, Mr. Deepasad, Dave Altman has let me know about your concerns about our social media policies. We understand you value your right to be able to post what you want, when you want to, and not be monitored and censored. We respect your wish to not be involved with our group due to these policies. So as of now, we will respect your decision. We wish you well and prosperity in all your future endeavors. Uh, sincerely, Gary Viris, Vice President of UAPX. So it was a very peaceful part off, right? Like he's not saying, hey, deep, you stupid fraud. Like what the fuck? Where's all these fake credentials, right? He's not saying any of that. It was just, uh, he, he, it, was like, it was something that was inevitable, right? I had been warned three times before about my Twitter for being either, for tweeting something that they wanted to have as a press release, right? Like, like I, uh, right? And I did that at least twice uh, for starting you know, Twitter arguments, these things made people uncomfortable in the team. It's a total, it's partially a generation gap and a personality gap. I, I, I'm just too, I, I, I act immediately, right? Like I'm a reactionary, honest person, seriously. Uh, and so um, I'm learning to, you know, put that under control and be more uh, mature and rational, right? You learn on the job, we all do. Uh, and so anyways, um, yeah, I think that should answer your question. Yeah, no, it does. And, and that's, 
that that's fair. And let me quote something Gary said. I'm going to well, I'm going to paraphrase, but this is what he said on the the interview with myself last week. Sure. Um, regarding yourself, deep, he's a good kid. He needs to get off Twitter so much. He didn't like how he monitored his monitored his social media. And again, as you say, that was his statement. So that ties in with what you've said. What may or may not have happened in the background, and people can you know surmise what could have happened, and you know things can get blown out of proportion either way. That's not something we can really do myself and yourself on a show or you know face to face like this because you would have to have those other people on the line or chatting back and forward so that's for another time potentially um mm-hmm. would you say though so you you mentioned yourself you know that there's nothing there about fake credentials and whatnot but it, it would be unfair to not talk about credentials so what were yeah. your credentials that you were involved in uapx in the first place and did you have to present any proof of those at any point yeah, sure, of course. Uh, so, so let's let's talk about all that. Um, okay, so uh, first of all, um, I want to talk more about who I am as a person first in my history because I self-reflected a thought, right? Like a lot, right? After looking at you know what happened with this, what I'm going to call a clear slanderous character attack, targeted, very, very, you know, but a, a mix of stupid and targeted. It was weird. Um, and so, so I reflected on that and the impact that it had, you know, uh, and the reaction the community had. And I realized I don't talk about my personal life enough and who and what I really do. Uh, ironically, like as much as I may seem to brag, I, I don't brag enough. I don't really talk about what I do. And uh, I'd like to do that, like in this podcast, a, a little bit more and shine some light. So, so let's, uh, yeah, take a step back for a second. Um, First of all, the university claim. There were claims that I, I have no degree. This, this, is, this is stupid and people can easily you know, disprove it. Many uh, journalists in the UFO space, many conference organizers, all of my investors, everybody, they've confirmed it, right? They know this, you can do that. It's not a, that, that's easy to disprove. But now let's look at the actual university degree that I have and, and, and the nature of it. So I live in Canada. And in Canada, um, the number one university in my country is the University of Toronto. Um, that's the university that I went to, right? You need at least a 92% average to get into the applied science program, which is my degree. So I was already, you know, the top of my class. I was no idiot to begin with. I was already taking tons of advanced physics competitions, participating, master classes held by CERN. Like I was known as the science kid. Uh, and, and always way ahead of, you know, like, to be honest, uh, basically everybody, right? There were some, you know, two people who had higher grades than me. Uh, uh, I'll give them that. But but I always was doing all these other things. I competed in the National Science Fair um, in grade 12, where people motivated me to try to start uh, my own company. Uh, and my younger brother and I, we were partners uh, back then. Um, and so when I got into university, I got accepted into the uh, engineering incubator, uh, and I was the youngest person that they had ever accepted. So that was kind of like my start to technology entrepreneurship, where I was given the motivation and the tools to actually start a company and, and really uh, endeavor then. So that began this sort of journey based on actual inventions, right, that, that I, I created and I would go on to create of trying to do, you know, Uh, multiple startups throughout my undergrad, throughout my engineering degree. So while the average student, by the way, engineering is the most respected program 
in that university because it is the hardest. We take on average five to six courses. It is a workload that is just dirty. Uh, it, it, it is not, you know, some average undergrad science course. And everybody knows this, right? I'm not saying anything that's top secret. Um, so I did that while trying to start companies on the side, while winning and participating in, in super advanced technology competitions and consulting competitions. I built a huge network through this way of like, like actually showing my skills as both a, a budding scientist and, and somebody who can solve real world problems. I was the president of a club that built devices for disabled people. So I have a video, YouTube video, I'll send it to you. Uh, I built a pair of gloves. Um, I think I was 18 or 19 uh, in this video. And these gloves uh, translate sign language uh, into text. Um, and so these are the kinds of the things that I was working on. Um, and by the time that I sort of got into my role at, let's say, the Royal Bank of Canada, right, the, uh, the biggest bank in the country, uh, I ended up creating actual AI technologies, right? I, I, I really... Um, understood both the business problems that RBC had, specifically wealth management, and figured out and determined and architected exactly how this sort of new artificially intelligent based software program would uh, be built. And I built a prototype for it. And so that gave me uh, you know, a return offer uh, to essentially help Spear. And essentially Spear had the division for World Bank, Canada, wealth management, you know, for Toronto and the East Coast. And so that, like, that was a job that was guaranteed to me, right, when I graduated. Uh, and I did take that for four days. Um, and that's like, uh, I, I left after four days because by this time, by the way, I was super obsessed with quantum mechanics. Within my last year of, uh, year and a half, I would say, of undergrad, um, for whatever reason, it, I was just bit by a bug. Like, I was aware of quantum mechanics for a long time, but uh, I was really obsessed with like the philosophy, you can say. So uh, the philosophy and the mathematics and this sort of, um, I, I'll, I'll kind of like, I'll, I'll fast forward a bit, but this sort of like inspired me to find a way to pursue that passion. And I had no idea, by the way, for a long time, I had no idea how I was able to, how I was supposed to act on, you know, my interest in quantum mechanics having my background in engineering, right? Like there was no conceivable way, way it, it back then. But uh, I had um, essentially found in this field called quantum machine learning where I was doing research in. And I got in contact with researchers and one researcher um, really sort of took a liking onto me. And, and you know, we're, we've become really good friends. He, he's a mentor. He's a total genius. And he put me on the right path. He said, Look, like he gave me the confidence. He said uh, that, like, read these books, understand, make sure you like. He was already very. By the way, he was blown away by by what I knew and, and just impressed, like, like by, I guess, my passion for quantum mechanics and quantum computing. Uh, and so he took me under his wing. He he told me exactly how to prepare for getting into what's called the Creative Destruction Lab. It's the world's first quantum computing incubator. And now a lot of people don't know what quantum computing is. That's something that I, 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 like, I can explain as many times as, as, you know, as I can, but it's just like, yeah, it's just not something that you can really convey uh, unless you spend, you know, one hour sitting with somebody. But, but really, though, something that's important to note is that quantum computing is the intersection of quantum physics and computer science. That's just a fact. You cannot be a good quantum computing 
uh, scientists right now without having a deep expertise in both fields. Uh, and so I can easily identify as a computer scientist if I wanted to and ignore the fact that I have like absolute dominance of quantum physics and quantum information. I can ignore that or I can just focus on that and, and then ignore it and not tell people that I also have expertise in this. And so, and so sometimes I do. Right. And so that's something that people uh, uh, were kind of like another uh, accusation was that like uh, he's not a quantum physicist. Something that I want to touch on is, and this is super important. Um, the program that I went into, the world's first incubator, right? Like uh, it was created and, and spearheaded uh, by the father, some of the fathers of the field of quantum machine learning, this entire field of quantum computing science, right? Like these are guys who have like, like Wikipedia pages and people who have actual textbooks that are published in the field. People, and, and they're also the people who have created, for example, um, like one, my, my one mentor, Peter Wittick, uh, who taught me like like firsthand some of this quantum information and quantum machine learning? Uh, he created uh, the first online course right for quantum computing. People around the world are using it. Thousands of people are now from MIT, Cambridge to random countries, right? Like uh, so, so I learned firsthand from the, the 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 fathers. It's like imagine like learning quantum mechanics from Bohr, right, or or, or Werner Heisenberg. That's, so that's the opportunity, the privilege I had at a very young age. And I was treated seriously, and I continue to be. I got accepted into this incubator. Uh, by the way, so I quit four days into my job because that was the day the application was due for this incubator. And, and like that was the only thing on my mind at that point. And I was just thinking, you know, if it's not this incubator, I'm going to want to do this a year from now or two years from now. I want to be doing something in it related to quantum mechanics and, and physics, right? So... So I left uh, because that's just who I am. I, I was not going to bullshit myself and waste my time and, and allow my soul to continue to be drained and, and waste everybody's time. And so I, I left. I didn't even tell my parents that I, I had quit my job. I waited a day because I needed to focus on the application. And I got in and this is where I met all these uh, amazing scientists, the top people who spent not just weeks, uh, the, there's a four week boot camp, but beyond just the, and that's where like the top, by the way, people are tr like who spend millions of dollars in training, like uh, uh, they teach you, right? Like the people who build these quantum machine hardware devices, which cost $5,000 an hour run uh, uh, to run, they come here and they teach you for like four weeks straight. That's part of this like boot camp. Um, so apart from having that, uh, we have access to the chief scientists like Peter. Wittick, uh, and we had them for the duration of our time, right, at that incubator. So um, I was constantly learning every week, you know, we were whiteboarding stuff. Um, and I just want to point out, this is what I meant about not bragging about myself. I'm just no ordinary person, 24-year-old, 23-year-old at the time I was 22. For me, like, yes, I get it. A person who does not have an undergrad degree or a PhD in physics may not be able to qualify as a quantum physicist. I can do that, right? I, because I, I put in the work. I spent um, a very long time, many all-nighters, tons and tons of work uh, with these uh, mentors and working on actual problems. And now I have a huge portfolio of intellectual property that's a property of reactive queue and it has a lot of value so you know i'll I recently... stop just no no that, that's fine because i'm going i'm going to get to the active queue Perfect. right and uh sure. and 
uh, I just want to talk for a minute. So, so does that help? That was my credentials yes, yeah, yeah. before I joined UAPX. <laughs> yes. And, and listen, I was going to get to that. All, all that's done is bring something forward. So that's absolutely fine in that order. Um, okay. Awesome. And, and, and deep, just, just in listening to you talk, you're, you're clearly a very intelligent young guy. You don't need me telling you. you that. I'm sure you've had that your whole life, given given your background as well. And regardless, uh, you know, what you do or don't have. I just feel I have to defend myself, right? No. I hate having to do this. I don't want to like openly brag about myself like this but i feel like it's been you know time to answer a lot yeah. of accusations. and I, under, I totally understand that and and i think there's also like you've said yourself you're, you're very reactive no doubt that's where you get the name reactive q from yeah we will get to that um yeah, sure. <laughs> would you say i'm going to ask you a few questions and if you can just to kind of summarize a little bit just given the breadth of what you've you've covered there which is quite a lot for, for people of course um just some kind of yes or no answers if that's at all possible so yeah. your background predominantly um is in engineering is that correct um not a, no not not a, i can't it, say that would it be your qualification and for my for my uh formal education it's engineering okay for my for what i you know have been doing for the past two years and my you know my scientific portfolio and, and all that stuff uh it would be a lie right i would be deceiving people if i said i engineer stuff that is not all I do by a mile. So, so yeah. well, let, let me preempt then, because I think this is where right. you're going. And this is where some people, again, uh, have had a bit of an issue. Um, yeah. you, you then go into the realm of quantum physics, okay? Something yeah. I can talk about in the sense I can say quantum and physics. And I get the, the idea of some of the, the, I mean, and I say the idea, I get some of the basics behind it just in the field that I'm interested in, not something I could have that discussion about in any great depth or understanding. However, what you're then saying, and this is just to put it across for the listeners, is you don't have necessarily a document you've sat in school and, and sat a course that says, I'm a quantum physicist. But what you do have is an immersion within that field and with those types of people who are quantum physicists and have worked with, you know, quantum machinery and quantum mechanics and all that, although anything else, you know, quantum leap, I don't know. That's going back a few years. But, you know, you have an immersion within that field and enough study and understanding that you feel you can justify the term quantum physicist. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. And, and, and here's why, and here's some more things to add to that, right? Like, so for example, I'm not going to name this, uh, you know, defense contractor, um, but I have written two very deep quantum information and I can send us, you know, uh, we'll get to that, but like I have, uh, you know, worked side by side uh, with, um, you know, these at these large aerospace and defense contractors side by side writing two technical white papers in quantum information and quantum sensing specifically, right, as a, a quantum physics expert, right, as somebody who has an expertise in both quantum information, which again is the, is the intersection of slash quantum computing is the intersection of quantum physics and computer science. So you need to have at least expertise in that in order to write this kind of white, uh, white paper. And, and, and really just a quantum physics background uh, to be able to, so, so, so um, yeah, so just so uh, I want to be clear, I'm not just saying it's because I've been around some smart guys that I, I call myself a physicist is because I myself uh, have a certain skill set, actually an intersection, right, of skills that make me unique. And I would say that maybe less than a dozen people on the planet right now have the same intersection of skills, which is uh, dominance in quantum physics, dominance in machine learning and computer science, and domination in condensed matter physics. 
those are my area of expertise. And, and in the very near future, let's say in the next about 12 months, we plan on having press releases where it will be so glaringly obvious uh, based on the testimonies of scientists in my field in quantum computing and quantum condensed matter physicists that, I, that our work is, is the top. Like we are the number one experts in what we do, right? In quantum condensed matter physics and, and whatnot. So, so yeah, that, that's my claim. And that, yeah. that's also what I'm hoping with this podcast. What what I don't think was going to happen was I'm going to come on here and this is Deep's Answers, so that solves everything. Because what we're going to have is people, obviously, rightly or wrongly, coming back with their own rebuttals again. But this definitely puts your piece out there, I think, in a, a, kind of a more easily digestible way. But again, for 99.9% of the audience, like you say, you know, you're, you're obviously in some top quintiles and percentages with, with your abilities and understanding, but to keep it in terms that, but more importantly, me, uh, that I can understand as well. Um, I want to talk about Reactive Q. Um, again, this is your startup company, I believe is the, the correct term. You, you've said you've had a number yeah. of which, but this is, again, is something where accusations have been thrown at you, that it's not what it seems. And I've got a few things I want to try and cover off, obviously aware of, of time constraints as well. Um, mm-hmm. In the past, and correct me if I've got any terminology or language wrong here, but you've claimed to have a, a million dollars worth of investment, or it was a million dollar startup. That may so, or may not so, have been something you've claimed, or it's at least been written within articles, because I've read some yeah, of those myself yeah, where yeah, a journalist yeah, has said, what, what would you say to those claims then that the, the startup itself has that level of investment? Sure. So I have never uttered those words that my startup has a million dollar investment. I've never said it to a journalist. You'll never find a single journalist who finds a screenshot or any evidence uh, uh, of me saying those words. I'm not stupid. We do not have a million dollar investment. We have a valuation cap of $1.333 million USD. Uh, and that's the valuation that we raised our initial pre-seed round at. That's what I have said uh, on the record. And that's what that article said was that our company is valued at $1.333 million, right? It's, it's a multi-million dollar company, but that doesn't mean that we've ra- we have that much you know, sitting in the bank. Uh, and um, yeah, even if we did right now, um, I think that, you know, these things lag, right? You have press releases and that's if you even see a value uh, in doing so. And that's fair enough. But I can also see where people may have misunderstood that to be it's a million dollar company or a million dollar startup. So that's understandable that it's a valuation because rightly or wrongly, people don't look at the detail. It's the Twitter generation. That's wrongly, right? That is wrongly. I want to put on the record, you cannot hold it against me if you misinterpret something I say clearly, right? Like I can't. But again, I suppose I suppose that goes conversely. That if if you ju- like you've said you've been guilty of yourself, you've you've jumped in in the past, or you've been too open, totally. or yeah, and people are yeah. guilty of that the world over, no matter how intelligent or how dumb they might be, or you know if they're yeah. in between like people like myself, I'd like to be for sure. Um, you know, so- I believe it was Erwin Schrödinger who said, if you're not constantly contradicting yourself, you're not thinking. Oh, or you're not thinking of ideas. So yeah, so yeah I mean, one way to put it. try coming up with a podcast at 34 in the middle of a global pandemic. That's uh, oh, one of man, the contradictions. Listen, um, but, <laughs> but again, I, what are those questions? Okay, so Reactive Q, yeah. is it a failed startup or is that unfair? It's so not a failed startup. Uh, it, it's, it's, you will hear more about us, right? Uh, so one thing that uh, I have had to do is, so every time I come on a podcast and I speak with wonderful folks such as yourself, 
Um, and, and every time I tweet anything, I am risking uh, giving away intellectual property about that is pertaining to Reactive Q. And so a lot of people don't have experience in starting companies. Here's a lesson for those people. When you are a CEO of a company such as Reactive Q or any technology company, it is your fiduciary duty to your investors uh, to protect the intellectual property of that company. Now, in order to, if you're wondering what intellectual property is, that's patents, that's copyrights, right? That's trade secrets. Um, and now if you want to file a patent in America, get a U.S. patent, uh, generally speaking, if you uh, have prior art, if you ever spoke about it, wrote a paper on it, uh, right, explained uh, that patent in, on the internet or anywhere publicly, you can't patent it. It's gone. Like that, like that chance uh, is over. So nobody likes, no investor likes a CEO who blabs about what they're doing and all the cute technologies and the cool advanced stuff they're working on. A lot of people actually find the hard way, right? So, so, and, and so Len, I, I want to tell you a story about intellectual property, by the way. Um, that that we learned. Uh, so okay, so early on uh, during my company, um, I took on an intern, and this intern, uh, I took him on in good faith. He was an undergrad astrophys uh, undergrad physicist, right? And so uh, I'm not going to say who it is. Uh, we're going to keep it super general. Um, and he was uh, a very good kid. Like he was very helpful uh, in acting as sort of like you know the the technician, right? Like we, I exposed him to a lot of our core intellectual property. I exposed him to what uh, the core, uh, some of the core technologies that we were working on pertaining to materials discovery, um, specifically how to solve and, and you know, design uh, um, new materials and discover new materials using quantum computing. That was what I was working on and it is what I'm still working on. And so after a few months of him working at my company, uh, it was time for him and to apply to the incubator that I had come out of. Uh, I, I wanted uh, him to succeed and I gave him my blessings after I heard about the idea that, you know, he had pitched to me. He had told me that he would start a company, uh, you know, he had learned from me, he would start a company based on my lessons in quantum communication and encryption, something that would be completely different to materials discovery, which is what I do, right? Quantum materials, all that stuff. Uh, and, and so I, I said, okay, uh, go for it. I recommended him. I, I made sure, you know, I, get, I put in a good word. I made sure he got in um, and he did get in. And uh, several months go by and we never communicated. He never, you know, checked in on me, nothing like that. And I find out uh, nearly a year later, about eight months or so, uh, and then eventually a year became even more clear that he had pivoted and to doing the exact same thing as me, Andy the exact same thing, the same pitch, the same everything. Uh, he had raised, uh, you know, tons of money, right? Uh, I'm not going to say how much for identification purposes. Uh, he raised a lot more money, at, in fact, than I did. Um, and, and that's the worst part about all this is that while I was focused on both retaining clients, I did not go the way of trying to raise more investment. I will be soon. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to, but I focus on getting clients and we do have clients. Uh, he focused on raising tons of money. And uh, in fact, I could have done both. If I'm going to be honest with myself, I could have both gotten clients and raised money. But part of it was, uh, you know, waiting, right? Like in the, the, the distraction of just being in UFOs, dude. Like I have been running one of the world's first quantum computing companies. 
all while, you know, talking to people on Twitter and having my own just like mind bending experiences that changed me as a person and walking this fine line of NDAs and, and like, you know, ex-CIA folks and just like the, these Twitter attacks and all that shit, right? Like I have to balance all of that. And so anyways, uh, Reactive Q is not a failed company. We are at the cutting edge. You'll see. We're, we're, we're like one of the number one people in what we do. Okay, deep, and, and that's a very fair point. So on your site, you state, and I'm going to read this, um, you have uh, assembled a powerful board of advisors, ranging from battery researchers to a COO of a large company. Would you name any of those individuals? Uh, no, I will not. I'm not going to dox myself. I, I just literally went through a character attack. You can call me a fraud. You can call me whatever. I'm not doxing my team. We are going to introduce ourselves through press releases informally. I'm not going to get bullied into divulging names. Sorry. Like, I protect my, my business workers and colleagues. Okay. No, that, that's understandable. But again, at the minute, is it fair to say that anyone who, on a research level, and I'm not someone who wants to research you or your company, of course, I, sure. I'd rather talk to you and understand it. I get why there's reasons you can and can't talk about certain things. But is there an understanding on your part Again, I'll use the phrase rightly or wrongly, that some people may be looking apprehensively at you and your company. What you're saying to me is, and what I'm hearing is that within the next and that's 12 fine. months... I get yeah. that, by the way. I'm not going to sit there and blame people and say, hey, why don't you trust this 24-year-old you know, with his claims? That's cool. That's totally fine. But I'm not dumb enough to take that bait, right? Like, I, I won't also react to it, no pun intended. No, not no reactive cue. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but again, I get that. But what you're saying is, within the next year, you're very much putting out there that this is something that will come to light. Exactly. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, it, it will. People will be proud. Exactly. Look, Andy. People will be proud of what my company has accomplished because I represent to a lot of serious people UFOs. Okay. If I start talking shit. Tons of very influential people will start seeing it in a bad way. I'm not going to do that. And, 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 you know, the more we win, the more the community wins. And I really do believe that, you know, uh, not trying to toot my own horn, the level of scientific achievement we'll have will be unmatchable. It's not going to be some theoretical paper on, on warp drive. Okay. It's going to be a real quantum condensed matter physics, real discovery, uh, a real research uh, that we'll be doing. So no, and, and, that's and it will be published. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And and I think for all a lot of this interview so awesome. far, and we're going to get to some listener questions, which I think will very much change the tone back to UFOs because, you know, it's that UFO podcast. Um, sure. <laughs> it's it's definitely got its relevance and basis because as we're going to speak about very soon, some of your experiences as well. Um, before we get to listener questions, um, so can you see why, and this is kind of touching on what I've just mentioned, why some have questioned your integrity and character over the last few weeks? Has it been totally unfair? Or, you know, when you're talking about your, your, the way you react on Twitter, that you, you jump in sometimes, do you think you've given people some, you know, bait almost to do that? Or is that something? I've certainly given from? bait. Uh, I, I'm learning from giving people bait. That is something obvious. Uh, I, I'm learning how to work with people, right? Like I did not expect to certainly have over 10,000 followers, you know, coming out of university while trying to, you know, run this company and, and, and accomplish my goals. Uh, I'm learning. Uh, that being said, though, um, I completely think it has been unfair how I've been treated in the past few weeks. People have not treated me like a human. People started calling me Richard Doty. 
out of nowhere, right? They, a lot of people treating me like shit. A lot of people that I thought were good friends turned on me. Uh, and all based on this like slandering, right? By this, by this idiot from Wales, right? Like it's just, it sucks. It sucks to see, it's unfair. It woke me up and, and you know, made me realize that I just need to, yeah, stop pretending that uh, we're all friends here. Like I just need to be more calm, collected and careful with how I speak and who I interact with and, and what I say. It's it's a simple solution, but you know if anybody has any delusions that I'm going anywhere and leaving this community that I've helped build and and and, and the answers that I'm trying to look for if I'm going to stop doing that, uh, it's not going to happen. Any regrets then over the last couple of weeks? No, I think that uh, this had to happen. In fact, I'm glad it did. Uh, there's a saying I don't know where it comes from, but it's something like. Uh, with the stones they throw at me, I will build a monument. And, and that's what I've done here. I, I've built a little monument. I took that opportunity. So, yeah. A, a little virtual monument. Yeah, that's which yeah, is totally. That's fine. And listen, are, are you, <laughs> before we go on to some listener questions, because I know we've, sure. we've got limited time remaining and I want to get to those because a lot of people did have questions. Um, do you... Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, do you or are you, sorry, happy to accept people coming back to question you? Uh, again, you may get over the next 24, 40 hours, couple of weeks, months, or as you'd expected, years with the fields you're going into, you're going to get asked for credentials. You're going to get asked for proof. Is that something you're, you're willing now to entertain those people to an extent and, you know, d- converse with them without it becoming, you know, a, a, a slagging match back and forward or, you know... Uh, uh- of, of course, to to a reasonable extent, okay? I'm not here to prove myself to fucking Twitter user XYZ, right? I'm here to do real science, run a real company. So if people are just like in a lineup and ask me again and again about my credentials, I've better things to do, uh, just so people know. I won't have time to respond to everybody. They will see, right? My response will be through my actions and through what my company does. And a lot, some of it will be public, not all of it. But But, you know, we're not going anywhere. I mean that. Awesome. Deep. Let's get to the listener questions. Okay. And again, thank you. Those were some difficult questions. And again, from a listener point of view, thank you. A lot of people got in touch with me and that's probably a different tone than I've had to take from a questioning point of view on any interviews so far. So I hope that's allowed you to get your piece out there to the people. Totally. Yeah, it was helpful. Thank you. Something from that as well. So no, that's great. Um, So listener questions, Deep. Um, Foyer Boy, um, he feels like some of the people involved with your departure from previous organisations are not qualified to hold the positions they did. Obviously, without naming names, would you agree? Uh, I, I can't, um, you know, confirm or deny that because whatever my opinion is, uh, it doesn't matter what the objective truth is. He, here's what I mean. Because there is no objective truth when you're doing disclosure for the first time. There is no, this person is too qualified or unqualified for a position. Now, if somebody claims, right, that they are a scientist or technologist and they have no idea how to normalize the wave function, right, or something basic, then that's dubious. Uh, There is nobody like that uh, on on UAP expeditions from my experience. Um, But, you know, some people might think, oh, that guy just has this qualification, they're not as qualified. So I, I, I don't know. Um, my answer might uh, vary uh, from Mike's, but yeah, I, I, I don't believe so. 
And and you were very fair on UAPX that you've got nothing but love for those people and the opportunity, but it it went the way it did. And you never know what happens in the future. That might be something you end up back involved with. Who knows? Um, You you, you never say never in this world as as we're finding out. Um, Why do you think certain individuals were so blatant in lying about you being fired from UAPX? And I just need to make clear, this isn't aimed at anyone from UAPX. This is from, you know, the Twitterverse that have been kind of perfect perfect okay yeah i'd like to yeah i'm glad you differentiate and what i'd like to just i just want to make a point deep what i would like to do is as much as you've mentioned you know individuals attacking you i would rather not have individuals named within this as well who potentially it turns into some back and forward you know yeah totally so yeah so 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 okay sure so um yeah i i think uh you know we could speculate all day i will say this uh I got too close to a hornet's nest that I didn't know existed, um, and 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 now I'm learning. I'm not going to say more than that because I'm not stupid. Uh, anything I say can be used against me. I think there are people, you know, uh, and not from UAP expeditions. There are people who are very, 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 very dangerous, and no, you know, the UFO community has no idea what the fuck they're dealing with, and they'll learn. Thanks for that. Yeah, um, no problem. <laughs> next question is going to take a totally different tone and we're going to get to the back to UFOs, okay? Now, you're cool. someone who has, and if you don't mind, just really briefly, as brief as you can, you've had some experiences yourself. And for any listeners who may not be familiar with those, can you just recap the experiences that you had, Deep? Sure. So, I mean, the, my defining experience was one in my bedroom, right? While I was working uh, in the morning over a year and a half ago. Um, and that was when I was, and again, I can't say how, whether it was some physical experience or, or metaphysical or anything, what I can say is that this was a profound uh, reality experience where I saw these three beings, uh, I was paralyzed, I was conscious the whole time, um, and, I say, and I saw these three little humanoid beings, um, and I described them as greys because that's the sort of general you know, body shape they had. But they looked very robotic, very clean, very you know technological, and yet still the experience wasn't what I would expect uh, of an alien uh, experience. And, and and anyway, so this entire ordeal was it was so out of left field. It didn't feel like it was uh, coming from my head. It felt like I had to run. Like it truly felt like my life was in danger, and that I was in the presence of something else. Just something that just uh, my brain could just barely comprehend. Like I could just barely keep up with what uh, was being, you know, thrown at me. And uh, so I went public with that experience, you know, about seven months or so after, uh, seven or eight months um, after it happened. Uh, And I had also, though, done an anonymous uh, video uh, about it that was, like, posted uh, probably about two and a half months after this experience. But, yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. Um, and listen, we got a, a little bit of testimony from Buddy from Alien Protocols. Now, I, I interviewed Buddy a couple of months ago now for the show, and he's fascinating to speak to. He's a great character. You know, he's awesome. a guy who just loves everyone. He loves life. And again, yeah. the, the reasoning behind why he does what he does is just very pure. So again, I'm not saying this is fact or not, but this was Buddy's testimony that he, he put on Twitter today for you and he allowed us to share. Because I'd messaged Buddy asking him what your what his thoughts were. Um, he said, Deep's experience was real, physical, and in my opinion, indicative that advanced intelligences find him particularly worthy of interaction. 
Deep is also unquestionably a prodigious savant, which also fits. Excuse my butchering of any French there in Scottish. Oh, good. Keep an eye on Deep Neuron. He will do wonderful things for us all. Hashtag love. Um, so again, great guy. Yeah, he is. And listen, I know uh, Buddy holds he's held in very high regard and high esteem by a lot of people. So, so that is worth something. Um, whether you can take it to the bank or not in the field we deal with, there's not a lot you can take to the bank, literally. So, uh, yeah. that that was really <laughs> nice of him to kind of say that about your experiences too. Yeah, so, I appreciate that. Having said that, um, we've got another listener question. How would you go about investigating a planet that we might expect to have intelligent life? Let's take Zeta Reticuli A and B from 40 light years away. And that was a reference from the Betty Hill star map. So how would you investigate a planet that we may expect to have intelligent life? Well, I mean, of course, beyond just looking for signals coming from that area, right, we would eventually want to send our own probes over there uh, to figure out, you know, what's going on. Um, I have a lot of hope for nuclear fusion based, uh, you know, propulsion uh, and being able to achieve uh, the relative enough G forces, right, to be able to get to these nearby star systems in an appropriate time. Whether we'll be alive is up for debate, but uh, but I think that's um, our best way forward. We should also look into, uh, here's something of interest, specifically because they said Zeta Reticuli and all that stuff. You know, the claim that, you know, these guys mess, these aliens mess with like gravity waves, that's all, that's often like part of the lore. Well, in theory, if you had freak gravity waves, you know, emanating and rippling from these star systems, uh, let's say uh, within, like, let's say the Zeta Reticuli system. Uh, uh, so let's say that in, if you have, have you, are you familiar with LIGO, the gravity wave detector? I've heard of it, yeah. Okay, so you know how, so that detector um, has two arms and each arm is four kilometers long. Uh, and so just uh, detecting very weak ripples, you know, 1.3 billion light years away, those gravity waves, uh, that's about, you have to build a detector that large, right, to detect such weak um, ripples. In theory, we can create uh, for longer wavelength gravity waves, even larger uh, gravity wave detectors that go out in space. There's one concept called LISA that's being developed, and that's supposed to help us find potentially, uh, you know, um, more exoplanets and stuff like that, uh, if you have even bigger systems, like gravity wave detectors. So I would build something like that and point it right at that system, <laughs> see what's coming out. Yeah, awesome. Uh, next one, is it correct you think there are bases on the dark side of the moon? If so, how did you come on to that conclusion? What kind of impact do you think such a discovery would have on the mainstream? Yeah, so sure. So first of all, uh, it, it, it is... It's far side of the moon. I mean, I know exactly what they meant, but like the actual term is that, right? Rather than dark side. Yeah. But, but, but uh, so, so for what it's worth, how I came to the conclusion is based on um, multiple people that I hold in high regard telling me who I have good reason to believe they would have access to know. All right. So, so, so I, I trust them enough and, and just thinking out loud when I tried to answer this question, which is what do UAPs do all day? I realized that if they are physical, they have to have bases somewhere, right? And it's probably going to be in totally unreachable places. So, so you know, I'm just like, I'm just taking a logical, crazy guess. I'm open to being proven wrong, but I don't believe we have nearly as much access as civilians to easily prove or disprove for ourselves this statement. So, so yeah. 
I like that when you say if they're physical, they're going to have to go somewhere, aren't they? Because they can't right? just be in a, a constant state. Do you watch Rick and Morty by any chance? Yeah, I do. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or your other idea is that they're like a Mr. Meeseeks box where someone hits a button, a UAP oh, explodes true. into existence, does <laughs> its thing, funny. and then disappears. So that would be the other option. So, yeah. That's amazing. Um, totally. I want uh, one of these boxes. <laughs> yeah, listen, if someone can invent it, it sounds like you could anyway. So uh, again, <laughs> that that's my level of understanding of science is a Meeseeks box, um, bringing it down from quantum mechanics. Um, sure. Next question, what are your thoughts on the wow signal from 1977? Would your AI techniques be able to make any more sense of it? And what do you think of the, oh, I'm going to be so bad at pronouncing this, remember the object that came through our solar system, Om, Omuoma? Yeah, Amuamua, Amu, Amu, I think. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. Whatever one it was, yeah. Um, what yeah, do you think of that object? object? Yeah, and the recent paper speculating it could be UAP. So about the wow signal and your AI techniques and then the interstellar object. Sure, so absolutely. Uh, I think my quantum-inspired methods could help us uh, sort of confirm and decon... I think that signal is interesting, uh, and I think it represents a class of many such signals that we haven't discovered. Uh, I gave a talk at the European Astronomical Society 2020 a couple of months ago um, on this very subject of how we can use quantum-inspired algorithms to search for existing data that we already have from space. And, and, and look at that data again with a fresh pair of eyes using what we now know from quantum computing and seeing if there's data that's encoded where the nearby you know, alien civilization assumed that we might have quantum technologies. It's a safe bet, right, that we're developing them. Why would neighbors not have developed them as well? So, so that was a thought there. And, and it is something that maybe something will come out of in the next few years. Uh, yeah. And now, so you, to answer your second question, um, more about uh, the UAPs. Uh, specific, sorry, yeah, can you repeat it? Yeah, it was... Um, sorry, I was getting up the next lot of listener yeah, questions. Um, people did send over a lot. Yeah, it was on the interstellar object coming through our... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly, UAP. Yeah, so, so, so that specifically is interesting because uh, Amua, Umua opens the conversation for Trojan horsing the astronomy and astrophysics community because now we're entertaining discussions of UAPs despite not being on Earth, they're willing to entertain it when it's way far away from us, but it's a start. And so you can start talking about looking for these same uh, transient techno signatures in our atmosphere instead. And that's an actual UAP as we define it. So, you know, we're getting closer uh, in the mainstream world. So it's good news. Uh, two more questions deep. One of them is, uh, are there any? Uh, do you have any favorite movies or books uh, that pertain to the UAP UFO subject? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I beg everybody to read the Yargin book that I posted. I posted a PDF. I'll send you the link if you'd like, Andy. Yeah, um, please do. It, yeah. Awesome. It, it's a book that I believe comprehensively uh, addresses many of the facets of the phenomenon. It's a allegedly a two-day conversation that was had with a successful multimillionaire engineer uh, and, and a group of aliens from planet Yarga. It's super interesting stuff, man. Like it's one of the, it's the only literature that I said publicly that I believe might actually come from aliens. So awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the last question, um, what do you think you are doing yourself to help disclosure? So my biggest, uh, I think I'm a convoy for bridging the gap between very credible scientists and technologists and billionaires. 
Uh, I, I've talked to billionaires who had no idea about UAPs and, I, and I've been the one who briefed them, right? Like, like, and this was in the matter of like months ago, like it, this is all very recent stuff. Uh, well, I, I've done something and I continue to do it, which is bridging that gap of people who are in this isolated echo chamber, which is a UFO community. And some of the golden nuggets of insights that we have, the Tic Tacs, right? The, the Rendlesham's, the Chris Bledsoe's, right? These are stories that are gems. And, and communicating that in a way that makes sense to the outside world, uh, and, and it's worked really well, right? So, and, and those you know results will show over time. These are things that are soft value and have hard value over time. Thank you very much for that, Deep. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. That's all we've got time for, but we'll definitely speak again. Thank you. Thank you, dude.